Hello, everybody. Chef Marcus Giuliano here. Welcome to In the Weeds, episode number 40 in the Weeds, uh, your restaurant business podcast. Uh, sometimes I have a guest, sometimes I don't. Uh, my goal here is to help you love your restaurant, get more time, uh, personal time, get more money, more sales, just enjoy your restaurant. Uh, I've been in business since 2003 and um, had some extremely rough times in the beginning, uh, first five years, um, lack of sales, uh, worked harder and harder and harder and thought that was the answer. Thought the answer was cutting staff, um, being very conscious of my numbers and not really realizing that I had to grow my business to break free of, of all of that. Uh, after doing that for five years and suffering, I took another five years and had a lot of success, grew my business drastically, joined some masterminds, uh, joined a mastermind, took some courses, read a lot of books, which I've always done and educated myself and then turned my restaurant around. And after reading all those books and doing all that, I decided to write my own books because people kept asking me, Marcus, what are you doing? How did you do it? I mean, we've seen, some, you know, you're, you're a busy restaurant. It's just, and people saw that I totally turned everything around. And we literally went from borrowing our, um, borrowing, um, taking our daughter's bank account one winter and emptying it out, because our eight-year-old daughter, because we had to pay bills. And terrible feeling to do that, like when you have nothing left and cash out a life insurance policy, one of my life insurance policies to, to pay bills and uh, just created this cycle that just was, was very unhealthy. And I can see why we all know why that restaurants fail a lot and marriages uh, of restaurant owners fail as well. So I'm here just to tell you that that does not have to be the case and that I want to help. And so this podcast is all about sharing information that can make your restaurant business better, basically fall in love with your restaurant again. I love my restaurant. I, I work hard, um, but when I don't work, I have a lot of time. Uh, this year alone, from February to June, I was only in my restaurant for three weekends that whole time because I was traveling every weekend to watch my son play baseball or I was in Mexico. It's just a great feeling to be able to have the, that kind of freedom uh, flexibility and profitability to be able to do all of that. So I want to talk to you about today about um, bar trends and uh, staying on top of what the, what's the next bar trend coming in, the cocktail trend, that kind of stuff. So super important because um, to keep your restaurant fresh, to keep it moving forward, uh, to have guests that respect you, love you, want to you know, check out what you're doing, um, create some loyal, raving fans. You know, you really need to stay on top of the trends. You can't be lagging behind. So if you want to catch the wave ahead, this is one of the wave aheads uh, that is, you know, just now starting to gain momentum. So what is the next spirit? What is the next spirit that you should be focusing on behind your bar? What is going to be taking over whiskey? What is going to be taking over vodka? And those are some pretty bold statements, right? So according to IWSR, the IWSR is the global leading um, trend um, reporting for the beverage world, IWSR. You can go there and check and see what's going on with them. So I just got a hold of an article from, let's see, this article came out. It was an email that was dropped in my inbox. And let's see where we're at here. I have a ton of stuff open on my computer. 
All right. Um, so here we go. Um, the rise of Mezcal and Tequila Explained, article from The Hustle. Um, so great, great article here. So tequila and mezcal are taking over the bar. You may be most familiar with tequila in a shot glass accompanied by a salt rim and a lime wedge. But tequila and mezcal are in the midst of a rapid rise in popularity, vaulting agave-based spirits to the top of the liquor cabinet per Bloomberg. In 2022, American consumers will spend more on tequila and mezcal than whiskey per the WISR. So in 2022, consumers will spend more on tequila and mezcal than whiskey. So whiskey being rye, being bourbon, blended whiskeys, scotches of whiskey, single malt, right? These are all whiskeys, blended, blended malts, Johnny Walker. These are all whiskeys. So they're saying that tequila is overcoming the brown spirits category. Now that is huge. When you walk into a restaurant, let's say you walk into an Italian restaurant, you might have six, seven, 10 whiskeys and maybe just two or three tequilas. So it's quite the opposite in representation right now, but the consumption is, is at level with those. So now, of course, the exception is when you walk into a Mexican restaurant, you're going to have 30 tequilas and you're going to have four whiskeys, right? It's the total opposite. Um, so um, let's see, Mezcal, known for its smoky flavor, saw a U.S. consumption jump of 53% in 2021. So Mezcal, 53 or more percent. Tequila was lagging behind, but it's lagging is a 27% increase for tequila. So tequila, which is, Mezcal is a much smaller category, right? Much, it's like cognac versus Armagnac. So tequila is going to be expected to take a smaller percentage because it's a 10 times, 20 times market, 30 times market. But the dollar wise was probably far much more drastic in increases than the mezcal. Mezcal is just smaller production. So this is like cognac versus uh, Armagnac. Every year they bring in 5 million cases of cognac and Armagnac is 150,000 cases. So see the drastic difference. So 20% on 5 million versus 50% on 150,000 if the numbers were in the Armagnac world, cognac world, the brandy world, uh, you know, obviously tequila, the, the, the cognac would have been had a far, far bigger increase. So I don't know of any, since I've been in business since 2003, I don't know of any spirit that has jumped in popularity like that, right? Um, yeah, of course, hard seltzers came out. That was a new category. But for something that's established, like established, like all of a sudden, if cognac took a 30% increase uh, in one year, you'd be like, what's going on in the cognac world? Like, this is shifting, right? So even though tequila has always been there, uh, that's a drastic increase, folks. Drastic increase that you should be paying attention to in your restaurant. So combined, um, the two are expected to fuel an 81% growth in the agave category in the U.S. by 2026. Now, they say agave category. What is agave category? These are spirits made from agaves. So you have tequila and mezcal, correct? Two agave-based spirits. Do you also know that there's three more agave spirits that I personally know about? There might be more, but I know of five 
distinctly different Mexican agave-based spirits. Tequila, Mezcal, Bacanora, Sotol from Chihuahua and Durango, and then you have Resilia from Jalisco, which was illegal until 2009. That's correct. They called it the moonshine of Mexico. A little interesting story, Resilia, they told the authorities they distilled it from the roots, which were non-taxable as opposed to the head of the agave. And of course, that was a lie, but that's what their story was for years. So we're distilling it from the roots. Um, so it was so they didn't have to pay taxes. So it was one of those moonshine type uh, productions. But 2009 was when it for illegal, became legal to produce. And um, so if you're a restaurant like my restaurant, we have a beautiful bar and a lot of restaurants focus on these amazing bars. Right. Um, even Mexican restaurants. Mexican restaurants have these awesome or, or lots of tequila selection. I say they lots of tequila, and their strategy for buying tequila is basically call up the big distributors, especially here in New York. You call up Empire Merchants or Southern, and you just buy every single big brand they have, based upon what the consumer knows as far as recognition. That's one strategy that I don't like when stocking a bar. I like to stock things that that um, ignite conversation, um, curiosity, and education. Uh, nobody's getting educated on Patron. Everybody has Patron. Everybody has Don Julio. Everybody has Cuervo. Everybody has, um, you know, um, these celebrity tequilas. They all have Cabo. But when you start talking about Bacanor and Satol and Resilia, you're educating your guests. And it's not, they're not that hard to bring in. The distributors have them. But now all of a sudden, when you start talking smaller brands of tequila that you can't find in the grocery store, uh, retail stores, I should say, uh, when you start talking about that kind of things, then you're like, oh, wow, like I didn't, I've never heard of that tequila. And this tequila is amazing. This tequila is awesome. And then when you start educating your people on, on, on Blanco Silver, Reposado, Anejo, Grand Anejo, or Super Anejo, this is a whole different thing. Then when you start educating your guests on the three different cook methods of the agave, is the agave steamed? Is it traditionally baked in the oven? Or is it done through a diffuser, which has a bunch of nasty chemicals in it, which I don't, if anybody knew what was in there, nobody would drink it. And if you're a restaurant owner and knew what was in there, um, hydrochloric acid, you wouldn't buy it. Because you're like, why am I buying tequila with hydrochloric acid in it, right? So then you educate your guests on the extraction, the cook method. Then you have the extraction method. Is it done by a traditional Tohono wheel? And there's some, some companies are out there, they still have a mule pulling a Tohono wheel to crush it, or is it done through a shredder or a roller? So, right. So there's different extraction methods or different cook methods. Then you talk about the NOM numbers, which is the official licensing number of that distillery from the Mexican government, which will tell you all about the tequila and the production of it and how, uh, what other brands are produced in the distillery. The reality of tequila is there's only 200 distilleries maybe and 2000 tequilas. So, a lot of these tequila factories are indeed factories. They're making tequila for many different brands, all right? So it'd be like if you were to buy, um, let's say, a, a, a bourbon. There's all these different labels of bourbon. And this does happen in, in other, other spirit worlds as well. But let's say the whole industry was based upon, you know, bourbon, 200 distilleries and 2,000 brands of bourbon. Um, so you pick up a bourbon and you're like, well, these two bourbons remain the same place. And these three bourbons remain the same place. And 
these eight bourbons or 25 bourbons or 50 bourbons, which all have different labels, different branding, different bottling, but they're all made in the same place. Some of them may be the same exact house recipe. Some of them may be a little distinctively different, but these are basically co-packers that just produce for other people. So then you can teach them about this. And there's a lot to teach on, on the, uh, on, in the agave spirit world. Once you start teaching your guests, your guests become ed educated and they come back to you for your product. So we're known for our tequilas and we only have 12 tequilas or, or, 12 agave based spirits, or maybe 15 now, maybe 15. But compared to a Mexican restaurant that has 100, we do more education, we get more respect, um, we have more of a diehard following for these tequilas, so or agave based spirits, because they can't get them anywhere else, you're gonna walk into a place and it's just like it's not there. So um, what's behind the rise, a combination of factors, including versatility, Sip it, sippable high-end offerings have pushed tequila beyond shots and margaritas. While mezcals can substitute for tequila, it can also be used in drinks that would otherwise call for scotch or whiskey, which is so true because mezcal has that smokiness that, um, that scotch has or single malts, right? So you can actually make like, um, uh, like a whiskey drink with the smokiness of the mezcal. So it's pretty cool. Uh, and yes, you're, when you now serve tequila, you know, we always ask, you know, are you, is, are you sipping this tequila? Cause we want to put it in the proper glass or I want to put it into, um, a glass that is sort of like a sherry or a port glass. We want to serve it like that. So it's enjoyed not sitting there doing shots at the bar. So the sophistication of the presentation and the enjoyment are different than they used to be. And folks, that's what you determine at your bar. You determine, you know, what you how how you're serving, what you're doing. And trust me, I know a lot of bars are just you know shop bars, and that's it. But if you start pushing or educating or offering the other stuff, you'll start getting known for that. So it's as simple as that. I told a story in one of our last trips to Buffalo, New York, walking to what's supposed to be the best margarita bar in the town. This is their their what they're proclaiming. We walk in and do you have any mezcals or satols and bacanores? No, we just have tequila. And by the way, the good tequilas are locked up in the owner's office. Uh, we tried to do uh, mezcal here and we couldn't sell mezcal is what I was told. We couldn't sell it. I'm like, really? They're like, no, this isn't the market. This isn't the city. I was told this isn't the city for mezcal. Meantime, we go to another restaurant that has like 30 mezcals and is rocking mezcals out just a mile or so away. Like, what's the difference in the two places? One is claiming they're the best margarita joint around in the whole city. And the other place is obviously has the best tequila and mezcal selection. And they're selling it like crazy. And uh, the one place that we went that had a big mezcal selection wasn't even a Mexican restaurant. So how do you, how do you get away with it in a non-Mexican restaurant? Well, basically, you provide it and they find you. So really the excuses of that Mexican restaurant that claims to be the best margarita places, they're just being lazy and they're not giving it a chance. And because you stick one bottle of mezcal behind your bar and let it sit there and your staff doesn't talk about it and you don't sample people on it and you don't educate people on it, 
you're probably not going to sell it unless somebody like me walks into the bar and says, oh, you have mezcal. You have, you know, 15, 30, 40, 50 big brands of tequila that don't interest me like Don Julio and, and Cabo and whatever these big brands are, Casa Amigos, you know, it's owned by Clooney. Those big brands don't interest me, but that one bottle of mezcal does, you know? So, but unless, unless I walk in, that's not going to happen unless your staff is excited about it. Oh, would you like me to do a mezcal Rita uh, or, you know, mezcal Paloma, things like that. And all of a sudden you're like, wow, this is pretty cool. I didn't know about mezcals. Here we go. And you start that whole process of educating. So it's, it's your fault that you don't sell stuff, folks. That's the bottom line. If you're not selling something, it's your fault. You're not training your staff enough. If you're going to blame your staff and say, well, they're just not pushing. You're not training your staff enough. That's the bottom line. They're not being trained enough. And that's your job as the leader, the operator, um, the manager is to train, 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 hold accountable, role play, hold accountable, train, role, and keep repeating this process. You know, even if it's sitting staff down once a week and having a pretending you're role playing and pretending your customer sitting on the bar, I'm going to have what kind of margaritas do you have? Oh, we have margaritas made with this tequila, this tequila. And we also can make mezcalritas. If you're not familiar with mezcal, I'd be happy to give you a sample of mezcal. It's a little smokier. It is smokier. And that would just that alone there would increase your for this place that said they couldn't sell it in Buffalo. That would increase their mezcal sales probably by 800% by just having that conversation instead of making excuses that they can't sell it. So um, next behind the rise is the health factor. It's hard to justify any spirits as healthy. True. Agave, 100% agave tequila is gluten-free, low in calories, and has fewer uh, congeners, fermentation products that lead to hangovers and other spirits. Now, be careful when you come into the tequila world because Melissa says 100% blue agave, uh, Weber blue agave tequila, you could get something called Mixto, which is a mixed tequila, which is 41% agave and 49% sugar of any type, like corn syrup or other sugars, cane sugar, um, beet sugar. You can actually take other sugars to do the fermentation if it's a mixed tequila. So make sure when you're going to a restaurant or make sure if you're a restaurant, um, you know, you know what you're buying. So just don't, you know, go out and buy the cheapest um, tequila thinking, oh, I'm going to make money on my house tequila. Um, if you're not into, you know, if, if just make sure you know what you're buying because those things are linked to more hangovers because it is just more than uh, uh, agave in there. So um, the broad appeal, tequila and mezcal consumption spans age, gender, culture, and occasion, giving it a wider market than other spirits. Interesting. So um, there's also the celebrity factor, George Clooney, Kendall Jenner, uh, Eva Longora, and Justin Timberlake are just a few of the famous figures dipping their toes in, tequila, in the tequila pool. So what's next? The growth of tequila and mezcal isn't exclusive to the U.S. All right, so it's just not here in the United States. Russia, U.K., Germany, and Japan are among the 10 largest markets for the agave category, which means global domination could be on the horizon. If you're looking for the next mezcal, look no. Uh, if you're looking for the next mezcal, look no further than Satol a Mexican spirit made of um, the desert spoon cactus. Um, and this is by, wild, by the way. It's the only spirit that's from wild cactus, a wild agave. Uh, and this is starting to pop up a 
across bars. This is in Texas here. So, you know, for me as a consumer, I judge a Mexican restaurant by their tequila, but really by if they have Satol or other or other agave spirits. I know they've put more more um, care, more um, thought into their in, into their actual tequila menu or their spirit or their bar bar program in general. So, folks, this is the way to step up your bar program right now. Um, bring a couple of these spirits in. Start educating your staff, your team. Start educating your guests. Let them know. Because I guarantee you, if you're the restaurant doing it, you don't need to be a Mexican restaurant to do this. If you're the restaurant doing this, you will gain the business. It's that simple. This trend is, is, is here. It's the beginning. It's on the horizon. It's happening internationally. And if you don't take advantage of it, that's your fault. So even if you're an Italian place, people still drink tequila. Even if you're, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what ethnicity of restaurant you are, you're still going to be able to sell it. So now here's my suggestion. If you're an Italian restaurant and you have all these great stuff, if you're, um, let's pick another, let's pick another um, uh, ethnicity. Let's say you're a German restaurant, uh, whatever it is. And you have your bar does, your bars, you're the farthest thing from Mexican. Why would you stock Patron or Cuervo when you can, if you're only going to have one or two tequilas, why wouldn't you stock a tequila that is a true sipping tequila? And the cost isn't more at all, really, or much more. Why wouldn't you stock a tequila that you could not find at a Mexican restaurant, right? So you're, you make, pick the most amazing tequila, two tequilas, three tequilas, and that's what your tequilas are. Get a silver, get a Blanco, and get Reposado, one of each stock them at the bar and then when somebody's coming in and they're you know coming in for to celebrate or whatever they're coming in for to eat and you know you're traditionally serving classic cocktails and you know um you're not known for margaritas but if they say i would like a tequila you know we want to do a tequila shot you know i wouldn't even put it in a glass if you're a fine restaurant a shot glass if you're a fine restaurant just put it into a little uh sherry glass and 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 do a quick little thing hey this is the tequila we have and make sure they can't find it at the other Mexican restaurants in town, that will make you stand out. That will 100% make you stand out. When they go to a Mexican restaurant with their friends, like, remember that Italian place you went to? They only had one tequila or two tequilas or three tequilas, but they were amazing. And they're looking behind the bar like, I can't find that tequila anywhere. We'll have to go back to the other place to get that great tequila. This is what I've done at my restaurant. Everything from cognac to everything behind the bar, lots of things behind the bar, I'm the only one that has these. I've done the research. I've sourced out these small brands. I've traveled to, to the distilleries. I've been there. I've met the owners. I've seen what they do, whether it's in the wine world or whether it's in the spirit world. You know, yesterday, um, the day before I'm recording this, we're in New York City at, uh, at the fancy food show, especially food show. And we see um, Massimo Toshi, who's the owner of Toshi Distilling. And we know him because we went to visit him in Italy in 2017 and he recognized us and we had a good time talking and catching up and, and you know, took some pictures with him. Um, and he does vinegar. So he does balsamic vinegar. He does spirits. Uh, so uh, you'll, you'll probably recognize his one spirit as little, little tiny, tiny wild strawberries inside of it um, in this, in this strawberry, like Eau de Vie or whatever from Italy. And he has a bunch of other things too. So you know, by developing these personal relationships and having a story of it, uh, it, it separates you apart. And he has some cool, unique products in his line. But to, to, to 
have to have that kind of relationship, to be able to do that education and talk about it is fantastic. And it looks great on your social media, of course, by the way. So um, you just you just need to take a little bit of time and understand that you have to put some effort into it. This isn't something that's effortless. Your bar, uh, a lot of you rely upon the big brands. You rely upon you know the big brand marketing to 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 sell all that. And we got rid of that that back in two thousand six, two thousand seven, two thousand eight. By two thousand eight, we were totally gone of all the big brands. Um, you know, and then you become a, you can become more of a unique restaurant. So, um, in some places, balance it fine. Uh, other places don't promote it. The staff doesn't promote it. The staff isn't ed, uh, educated on it. That comes back all to training. So, you as the leader of the ship, you need to do the training. So, but if you want to make your restaurant interesting, your bar program interesting definitely look into the agave based spirits step your game up on that and be ready to ride the wave of that this is a good position right now to be able to jump ahead hey so if you want more tips on how to run a great restaurant go to restaurantgrowthsecretsuniversity.com i have lots of lots of great information over there free information uh my contact information is over there if you need to get a hold of me that's all there so restaurantgrowthsecretsuniversity.com follow me on instagram tiktok all that kind of stuff and um, everybody have an amazing, amazing day and go make a difference in your restaurant. Talk to everybody later.